Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking Comics Podcast, episode number 281. I am your host, Steve Say, and with me this evening is Mr. Bob Ryer. Hey there! And the one, the only, Joey Brachino. I love following Bob on the opening because he's always so hyped for the show. <laughs> you like just... I live the entire week with this exact moment, you know? You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Oh, good Lord. Off to a fantastic start. Uh, I'm going to tell you guys a little something about this week's podcast. Uh, we'll be sharing our thoughts concerning the new Thor Ragnarok teaser. Yes. Uh, Bob has something for us on Misfit Appreciation. Oh, my God. Appreciation Day. Appreciation Appreciation day. day. I'm a wreck, and I'll explain that in just a minute. We're not even going to edit this out. I don't care. Let's keep going. Let's drive the plane into the mountain. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about a buttload of comics, and then... We're going to get the hell out of here because this will not, and I repeat, not be a three-hour-long podcast this week. Four, I won't have it. Four, four five four hours. hours. Guys, don't Coast of Utopia. <laughs> we're just, we're just going to cruise right past three and into Thunderdome. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So, okay. A uh, little bit of banter really quick. I'll be uh, straight with everybody listening to this. I've been sick since Thursday. This is Tuesday. It has not been fun. <laughs> so if I'm a little off tonight, you'll know why. Uh, I just I feel like hell. But I have my friends at my side. They're not actually here, but they're on the line. Metaphor. And uh, in spirit, we have a really f- what? in spirit. We're in there in spirit. It's, it, it, I'm, no, don't, I'm not going to say appreciation again. <laughs> OK, um, we're going to get this thing started. With uh, a little talk about Thor Ragnarok teaser, Joey. Yeah, dude. I want your reaction first. Ah! What do you think? Ah! So good! So you good! You sound like somebody that showed up in the trailer. Can I tell you something, guys? I may have <laughs> said ahead. this on the show before. Number one Marvel Cinematic Universe movie on my list. Number one. Guess. Thor Ragnarok. Guardians of the Galaxy. No, Winter Soldier. That's number one. Number two... Oh, okay. Is Thor number one? Number Thor. Ah. Thor one is my second favorite MCU. I've loved the Thor franchise. I think it's funny. I love the cast. So I've been hyped for Thor Ragnarok, like since forever. And when they announced, um, when they announced uh, Taika Waititi as the director, because mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of what we did do in Shadows and uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, which is, was his film from last year. Um, I was so, so incredibly excited. Um, 
and then they dropped this trailer surprise on a Monday, and I was just dazzled. I think that the 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 look of it, the vibe of it was a lot of fun. The Zeppelin was awesome. Cape Blanchett <laughs> is incredible in the freaking trailer with a horn helmet as Hella. I'm just like it's it's just it's just amazing and I'm excited and I'm thrilled and I I can't say enough positive adjectives about it. I want this movie now. And I know we're getting Guardians and Spider-Man in May and July, but I'm, this is the movie I really want and then Captain Marvel. But but, but until then, I want Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> You know, the thing is, Joey, what's up is that it's finally all happening, dude. It's all happening. All the weird shit right? from the Thorverse is starting to come out and they're finally going really like, I mean, they've been going big, but they're going really big this time. At least it looks like it. Yeah. This kind of for me, the trailer kind of has a bit of a Guardians flavor. Oh, totally. Like in terms oh, of the presentation yeah. with the title cards and all of the almost like Tron like presentation of them and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but Holy hell. Literally that I know, but I've been, I've been wanting them to do hella from the very beginning. I understand. I say that you can't, you got to work your way up to it, but I'm so pumped that we're finally here because they could do anything with that stuff. If they introduce hell, as an actual place that exists in the Marvel universe, like the Marvel cinematic universe that could go anywhere. That could be the next doctor strange move, but you could have stuff pouring out from hell all over the place. Yeah. It'd be amazing. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if they'd ever do it, but if they wanted to like do something really weird with Loki this time out, they could do something to de-age him and then come out with the next movie and have uh, like an actress almost the age of um, uh, the girl from uh, from Logan. Really quick. Oh, Daphne Keen. Daphne, Daphne Keen. Keen. That's it. Um, imagine her being being Leah and interacting with a kid Loki, and then you have like a kid Loki situation, and then I don't know. I have I have ideas. Yeah, yeah, that's ideas. that's crazy. You're you're going you're going to the back wall right now. <laughs> yeah, man, Marvel. <laughs> Give me a call uh, or just see, email me. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Bob? I totally agree with the whole Guardians vibe. You have that that lovely undercurrent of humor that was in the other Thor pictures before. It was always there about always coffee and horses and Kat Denning's character and all sorts of great non-sequiturs, fish-out-of-water things. But you still have, particularly with the, the inclusion of Hell and Kate Blanchett— just owns that crazy outfit. And yeah. I was so mm-hmm. glad they really went all completely for it. There's still mm-hmm. now consequence. This is the underworld. This is death incarnate. And so you still have Jeff Goldblum's weird grandmaster character sitting there with Loki on the throne and people watch for the Jack Kirby artwork behind them mm-hmm. in, in the little banner behind them. Some actual Jack Kirby artwork from FF 64. It's a big, giant machine the thing is holding up. You have that mixture of the two worlds that Thor is. Some great one-liners in this trailer. Mm -hmm. Some Mm -hmm. neat little surprises. And there's some interesting tie-ins. Hela, as a character, appeared initially in A a Journey into Mystery 102 in the backup feature, Tales of Asgard. Mm -hmm. The first issue she appears in in the main story 
is the book that introduces Ego, the living planet. <laughs> nice. Ah. It's one th- Thor 133. So all these things that may tie in together as we get to Infinity War, and we see those come together. See, the tie-in I'd like, Steve, I love what you're saying, but there was a, the first real Marvel crossover event was mm-hmm. the Avengers Defenders War, which we talked about briefly with Steve Englehart when he was on a couple of years back. And in that, Loki and Dormammu team up Mm. and get the Avengers and Defenders fighting with each other. Mm. So the Defenders are a little different (laughs) in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but they're still Doctor Strange. We still got the Hulk. We got some stuff going on. We could have some fun with that. You can get the Defenders together or like half of them. (laughs) Well, uh, Submariner belongs to Universal, I think. Yeah, but, you know. And the surfer to Fox. But uh, I'll look, I think we could do it. We'll just get them all drunk. <laughs> we'll get them all drunk. We'll sign some papers. It'll be fine. I'm for you that. Know, the, It'll be totally fine. The first, the first glimpse that we got of Guardians was at the end of Thor The Dark World, if you remember, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. And Sif and... and, and uh, uh, brings the the ether Full or whatever stop, right? yeah. that bring the ether to to Benicio as it were. <laughs> um, so I, I think that the connection between the two franchises has always been there, um, and I think visually, if you're going to make the jump for Thor to another universe, then it's going to have those Guardian influences. However, I right. do think that Guardians still has that distinctly James Gunn dirtiness to it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. like, like 100%, like Guardians will forever mm-hmm. be the James Gunn contribution to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And what right. was really like interesting for me watching this trailer was the scenes where we go to Asgard. And like I, w- I was reminded of how like regal and golden th- that those towers are and everything. And then the Hella just walks mm-hmm. in and just fire everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And you know, wrecks and, the joint. Yeah, and the thing about this trailer that I really liked is like you get a sense of you know the basic premise: Hella vengeance on Asgard. Thor gets blown away, ends up on a planet. Grandmaster putting him into the arena. Okay, we got that sense. I kind of get all that. But here's what's interesting: I don't know how what role Loki plays in this. Um, there's some interesting flashbacks or maybe flash forwards or interesting moments with Hela with the crown and the Valkyries. So there's a lot of stuff that you still don't know what's coming in this movie. We only saw what, like a minute 50 worth of footage and it all seems relatively self-contained to a specific part of the plot. So I'll be really interested to see, you know, we Mm -hmm. saw some screenshots or some set photos of them, you know, in New York and you kind of saw a little bit of that alleyway, but I don't know why they're there. Marvel cut together a really good trailer here, not really revealing too much beyond the basic premise of of the plot. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great teaser, and I just I'm so excited for Thor. It's always been so funny. I've always found the fish out of water stuff so exciting, and now that we're going all out Universal, just I'm all for it. I'm gonna miss some of the Earth yeah. bound cast. I will, but um, I'm all for this, man. We yeah. can always come back around to them. You know, you never know what new people we may meet coming back. And yeah. That could, that could be a lot of fun, too. I've, if, if you want to go, we're talking, we're talking crazy stuff now. When you consider that the Grandmaster, when he first appeared, he created the Squadron Sinister, mm. who would become the Squadron Supreme. 
would Marvel have enough onions to do like a <laughs> Justice League parody to fight the Avengers? Huh. <laughs> oh man. Who's the, I don't know. The, who's the, the, right, the the Hi- wizard Hyperion, Hyperion. And Spectrum. I was like, who's You're that right. character? Hyperion, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? If, and imagine if they got the rock to play Hyperion. Hilarious. Awesome. <laughs> and then he yeah. went over and played Black Adam. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, I'm loving this. Oh, we got this. We, we gotta make it. this at least an animated 100%. feature. Uh, Tell you guys, you're giving them all the ideas. Dude, one hundred percent. Now here's the question. Do yeah. they include Hammer of the Gods immigrant song in the movie? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I would think be, that you'd it, have to. I'll, t- I'll tell you it's, why. It's in the tra- it's in the, the post credit sequence or the end credits or something. I don't know if that is if that song is the same situation anymore, but Led Zeppelin music in general is uh, supposedly very difficult to get your hands on and ah. be allowed to use it in anything. Uh, if you remember your bonus features from uh, School of Rock, they actually had to fill an auditorium uh, of the kids and the cast and the crew from the movie uh, chanting and like singing and pleading to uh, Led Zeppelin to let them use the immigrant song in that movie. Uh, I would think it shows up. I hope it shows up because like I said, like it just, in terms of it being guardians vibes for me, uh, like guardians uses music a lot. It Mm -hmm. as it's as kind of its backbone, right? Like, especially in that first film. And I have a feeling they're going to do it again with uh, volume two, but um, like I was rocking out while watching that thing. And it just, that song builds and builds and they build to that joke that happens at the end. I won't say what it is. If you haven't watched the trailer, but it's so sweet. It's such a funny payoff for that moment. And if that's kind of the comedic tone that they're going with, Oh, I cannot wait to, to see another Thor movie that embraces that first one. That was so damn funny. Yeah. So, you know, like they said this one was going to be more comedic. I've seen that a couple of months ago. The first two uh, are funny, guys. Go on. Yeah, no, 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 I no, love no. the first. The two. first one is I think is hilarious. No, they're nope, to nope. me, Joey. They're in my the top tier. Both of the Thor pictures are both in the top tier for me. I agree with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Bob. Yeah, if you would a- please uh, tell us all about Misfit. Appreciate. Here we well, go again. Appreciation. Appreciation. Appreciation Day. Okay. Misfit Appreciation Day is April 7th of every year. And it is a day to celebrate the comic book character of Misfit. Real name is Charlotte Gage Radcliffe, who was created by Gail Simone and Paolo Sugiera for the Birds of Prey. She is a Batgirl fangirl who, while Oracle is doing her Birds of Prey thing, all of a sudden, there's a, there are Batgirl sightings in Gotham City. She's doing, Batgirl is stopping robberies and doing all this sort of stuff. Eventually, Barbara wants to sort all this out and discovers there's this, this crazy girl in a homemade bat suit who is dealing out dark vengeance, as she says, as she like kicks people in the face and does all sorts of stuff. It is through Gail Simone's The End of Her First Run on Birds of Prey, so it's from issues 96 to 108. She first appears in sort of silhouette in 96. Uh, and she appears to them. 
gets involved with the birds and Barbara shows her, you know, the, the, there are a couple of people who've not done so well as Batgirl. She shows her the slug she pulls out of her own spine that, you know, has her in a chair, shows her the, the video of the body on the slab of Stephanie Brown. And Charlie, as she's known, says, all right, well, okay, I, I, I see that. There's a problem about being Batgirl, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to be a superheroine. I'm not saying that. And she pops off. She has a, apparently the magical powers of teleportation, a great sense of humor, completely loony but with a great heart. And she reappears as as misfit in what amounts to a sort of stylized M that looks like a bat T-shirt, a yellow cape, uh, capris, and Converse All Stars in a cape, <laughs> and 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 finds herself in great battles with. Tons of spirit, always wants to do the right thing. And Gail eventually was going to use his character, my understanding from what I've read, to, to be trained by the Huntress, to be a real superheroine, part of the birds. Gail left the series and came back. Misfit's been back a number of times. She's in uh, the, the last Batgirl issue, 34. She's in some Titans issues. She's even in uh, Wonder Woman 600 as part of the super team. But for me... The storyline that ended Gale's run, first run, is, is issue 108. It's Gale and Nicholas Scott. Hey, I mean, right there. Mm-hmm. And Barbara's having all this trouble with this, this character from her past called Spy Smasher, who's going to reveal her secrets. And Barbara calls in all the reserves. And that's a four-page spread that folds out in the book. It's every superheroine, every superhero, every part of the Birds of Prey. And, of course, Charlie's there. And in that issue, uh, the Spice Measure character gets beaten down by all these super friends, so to speak, and gives up a secret about Charlie, who said, well, my mom's a movie star and I live in a mansion and everything is all great. And you get this wonderfully heartfelt story. It's it's the complete usual Gail Simone reversal. And so Charlie Gage Radkip, in just a few issues, for those of us who came to love her back then, reading The Original Birds of Prey, She's a really special character who one of these days may come back during this week's events. There was a tweet by Gail where I would pay money to write a misfit Ms. Marvel series with G. Willow Wilson. Ooh. Because misfit is exactly that sort of character from before where she loved an older superheroine, took up her mantle, tried to do the right thing, still had her own stuff to do. And boy, I'm I'm for that. We can get Nicholas Scott to draw it. Aces. I'm saying aces. So go to go to Gail Simone's Twitter or go to her Tumblr page, which is Ape in a Cape, and check out some of the great artwork in next week's covers. You'll see some of the wonderful tribute artwork that was done, as well as some other great covers. But check out some Misfits. All I'm saying, kids, you're go- you're not going to be sorry. Excellent. That sounds cool. Oh, my God, Bob. Way to paint a, uh, or rather, Gail did, painted a dream yeah. team. Uh, where was this when uh, we had that dream team question a week right. or so back? <laughs> Damn. Well, we'll have to edit this back into that show. That's <laughs> Hear that, Joey? No, oh, man, that's a lot. I can't do time travel editing. <laughs> that's the thing about editing. You can. I guess that's true. 
Yeah. I don't know how you'd replace the file for people to download, though. Yeah. It'd probably just be a huge waste of time. I'd have to go to their house. <laughs> I'd drop it yeah, off. To I'll, them. I'll, you know, I'll, no, I'll go to their house and read what I just did. <laughs> oh, don't say that, Bob. <laughs> don't promise that. They'll beg for it to be one of our Patreon tiers or something. Nice. <laughs> All right. Moving right along. Uh, I was going to talk about how I went out Friday night to sing a little bit of karaoke. What? But yeah. I uh, look, here's the thing. I got sick Thursday. Still very sick on Friday. But once I had a drink or two because we had plans with with friends. And this is kind of since I've been out here. It's the first time that everybody was getting together and so for being absent for these things for four years in a row there's no way that i wasn't going to this one and it started out just like going to someone's house so i was like i could deal with that like i could sit around and and drink a thing of whiskey it'll probably be good for me and then everybody decided hey let's go out to this bar called fatty patties and sing some karaoke karaoke so the eight of us go down to Fatty Patties. We Ubered down to, to the place and we just ripped it up. Like we ripped it up. Like the eight of us, like taking over the, you know, the little suggestion thing when you hand the DJ the slips. And, you know, a lot of other people got to sing too. I don't want to make it sound like we kicked people off the stage. But between the eight of us, the first one of us to go was my friend Pete. And he sang Britney Spears' Toxic. Yeah. <laughs> And he got like a standing ovation from half the bar. He sits down and the one of the uh, girls or bartend, somebody uh, came and bought him a shot <laughs> as a thank you for, for she never laughed so hard in her life or, or something like that. Uh, he was amazing. Hey, quick aside. Did you ever watch Lip Sync Battle? Yes. Well, they, that song got used on there with a full blown dance routine. And the singer was Clark Gregg. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, yeah. He was wearing the so, outfit. Yeah, <laughs> dressed like a stewardess. Coulson, my, uh, son of Cole. With my his, favorite. And his wife oh, was in ahead. it, too. His wife is Jennifer Grey, and she was one of the passengers in the uh, in the fake airplane. Oh. I uh, well, My favorite one of those was uh, Emma Stone. When she came on, she did Blues Traveler. Yeah. Oh, God, that was amazing. Steve, what's so, your uh, go-to karaoke song? Uh, well, I usually, if I can, if they have it, I usually go to Tool or uh, Perfect Circle just because that's my vocal range. <laughs> uh, but I ended up doing uh, Friday night. I did, let me see, uh, Digital Bath by the Deftones, Say It Ain't So by Weezer. Nice. And there was another one that I can't remember. But uh, I asked my friend Jamie to do Master of Puppets. And if you're familiar, that song is nine minutes long, nice. just about. Nice. And Jamie was very drunk at that point. And I asked him to do this song on purpose because I knew what would happen. <laughs> and the performance was everything I could have hoped for and more. He gets to the point where there's like 98 bars worth of music where there's no singing. So you just have to stand up there. And he just starts like lecturing people about the history of Metallica. <laughs> and all of their it. little like quibbles and like, yeah. oh, there's this part of the song. He's also a musician. So he's like, oh, this part of the song is coming up. And they, you know, they complained and moaned about this part. And it's hysterical. He gets so into it that he forgets that the music actually comes back in and he has to start singing again. So that was just an absolute riot. Uh, we had a really good time, but I um, was immediately trashed the next day. I woke up 
almost worse than ever. I was like bright eyed and bushy tailed the next morning. I was feeling good. I was like, yeah, I kicked it. And then by two o'clock that afternoon, I was dead. And that's why so, you're still sick because of, because, yeah. because you made choices. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Socializing. I do it. Uh, and the other thing I did, and uh, Joey, you can join me in on this, was uh, I had never seen the movies Now You See Me and oh, Now You See Me yes, Too. Yes, the Ruffalo show. And, <laughs> right. Oh, right. okay. And so we ended up, my, uh, my wife has, has seen the first one, and she's like, it's fun. And I'm like, I'm in, I'm in the mood for something mindless. Let's do it. We watched it. I got to tell you. I kind of loved it. It was amazing, right? <laughs> it was. Here's the, here's the thing about that movie. There's a couple of movies. I'm trying to think of other examples, but there are some movies that are just cool. Ocean's like 11. there's something. The Ocean's in, movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's something like heist movies when they're done well and, and, and taking the idea of, of like superly skilled mu- uh, magicians and having them be uh, like almost Robin Hood's of of the world and stuff like that like looking out for the little guys so to speak and whatever doing their little their crusade like it was just so much fun all the the chemistry between characters uh i'm not gonna say what it is but we'll probably talk about the second one but like the twist at the end was was insane and crazy right oh it was it was so good i was like holy crap let me tell you the reason go why ahead, go I ahead. loved the first movie, the reason why I was, I remember watching it in the theater. You know, we went to see it because like the cast is great and it's got a great premise. You know, it's got the, it's got the better Franco in it. It's got the superior Franco. I was a big Isla Fisher <laughs> fan, Jesse Eisenberg in that role. Great. Woody Harrelson. And then it's Mark Ruffalo. It's all about Mark Ruffalo. And there's a moment in the first movie where he has like that, you know, Danny Glover, I'm too old for this shit moment. But instead what he says is like, I didn't go to Rutgers for this shit. Right. Then I was just like, Oh my God, I say that all the time. You know, like <laughs> I, I went to Rutgers and I have a degree. Why am I doing this shit? And I just like, and because of that moment when Mark Ruffalo name dropped Rutgers in the first movie, I was like, if they make 17 of these movies, I will go to every single one. Okay. So, oh my god, so I dude! I want two, too, and it was just—it's so good. Daniel Radcliffe shows up in two, so good. Oh, you all right? All right. I was gonna go there yet, but I'll—I'll I'll, I'll do it now. Uh, we I'm sat glad down. You to guys watch- are saying this. I'm—I I stand in the library shelves, and they're there, and it's like, oh, you know, they got such bad reviews, but I think I'd love this. They're fun. And now, they're a lot of fun. They're fun. They're now, really fun. Great. I'm in. Here's a, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing about the second one. Let me tell you what happens with the second one. Second one comes in. And you're like, what are they going to do this time? I hadn't seen it. My wife hadn't seen it. So we're both sitting in bed. We're watching the movie. And about 25 minutes in, a character, or 20 minutes in, a character shows up who is a sibling of one of the other characters. <laughs> and out of nowhere, the movie just caught fire. <laughs> like it was it was in like engulfed in flames and Bronwyn and I are laying in bed. We're looking at each other. We're both like the look we didn't say anything, but the look was on our, our face where we were like, "Oh no. What are they doing? What is this?" And then all of a sudden, Harry Potter shows up. <laughs> <laughs> And and like a like a cool drink, just a bucket of ice water over that fire. And I knew everything was going to be all right. But holy crap, for a good couple of minutes, I was like, 
don't ruin this for me. <laughs> don't do it. I mean, did 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 you guys read the script? Do you know that you're you're doing this, so and so? And um, but oh my god, I ended up really loving it. I even ended up loving that character that I'm I'm trying very much to avoid telling you all if you haven't seen these movies. Yeah. Um, just so clever, so good, and uh, I love magic. I love magicians. I love that crap. Like I people do card tricks. That I'm like a, like a just what? No <laughs> idea what's going on. And um yeah, I I, I you know the cast was great. Uh Kat Dennings added a lot of like really good uh comedic flavor to the group. I think that uh Lizzie Kaplan. Isla Fisher. Oh, I'm sorry, Lizzie Kaplan. I get the two of them confused all the time. Uh Thanks, Joey. <laughs> I got you. I got you. How rude of me. I apologize. We were talking about her before with Thor. We were talking yeah, about her before right. with Thor. She was in the ethos, you know. They totally remind me of one another. They really do. But uh, anyway, I just, I think she she added a good energy to the movie. And uh, Bob, I definitely think that you should give them a shot. Definitely will. You, you, I'm definitely in. Uh, yeah. As I said, I've had it on my mind to see i've even seen i think the first one was four dollars one day at target Mm -hmm. i just buy this i mean what's the difference it's a four i expected like it was proposed to me as being like a turn your brain off kind of movie and i guess you could approach it that way but it's not like it it was so engaging and so just like i said cool that Mm -hmm. I was grooving on it from the very beginning and now as of last night i'm two episodes into the show into the badlands oh my god Oh my God! Yeah. You started into the we'll Badlands. Holy we'll shit! Save it. We'll save Catch it. Up. We'll save it. Catch up. Oh all my right, God! Right, right, right. We'll talk about it next right, week. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to throw it backwards for just a second. If you like magic stuff, I it may be on YouTube or somewhere on the interwebs, and it's Hulk connected. Bill Bixby, before he did the Hulk television show, had a show called The Magician. Oh. Ooh. Where he was a Vegas magician who was also sort of private detective, scope out other people's. What? tricks oh, and it. schemes and heists and whatever and he <gasps> did all his own magic too it's morgan freeman the show yeah really? dude <laughs> morgan freeman is also in now you see me this the cast that's another reason why these movies are fantastic right if they're stacked the cast yeah. are stacked so good loved it loved it all right what do you guys say we move on and we talk about some comic books. The reason we're all here. Let's do it. Uh-huh. It is the name of the show, after all. It is. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so, Bob, why don't you uh, start us off in DC land with a little bit of uh, DC Bombshells number 25. It is an anniversary issue, extra supersize number 25. Now, you do pay $5 for that, but what you get is Marguerite Bennett and Anique telling us a story of the 1942 version of the Suicide Squad. Come on, you're in already, right? You've got... Really? Yes. Killer Croc, you've got... You've got the Enchantress. Frankie Charles is involved. We've got Ravager. We've got some bad guys, including the Joker's daughter. Uh. We've got some good stuff going on, all set in 1942. And... We have some Nazis. We're tied into back for the special we had because we're dealing with the dun, 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 vampire Batgirl. <gasps> it is just look. Here, here's a book that was a gimmick when it began, 
And in the hands of Marguerite Bennett has been something really very sweet. Every artist she's brought on board has been sensational. Clever, clever writing, wonderful characterizations. We have multiple theaters of operation. We, we, we bounce into 1938 Egypt, a very Indiana Jones thing with Frankie and her, and her, and her friends. A message from a mysterious Kryptonian that is going to now tie into Leningrad as we move forward into this series. I know a lot of people by are doing this digitally and others are, are trade waiting. However you do it, just always stay caught up. So many surprises. It, this is a book I want to talk lots about, and I don't because every other page, <laughs> no, you turn the page and there's some, oh, there's that character. Oh, that's great. And I don't, I don't want to ruin that for people because it, it, I ruin enough on this show. But I'm, I, I swear I won't ruin this one. DC Bombshells 25, <laughs> it's the Suicide Squad, and you you, you don't want to miss this one. Excellent, excellent. Uh, how about Harley Quinn number well, 17? Look, I've as people know, when they relaunched into Rebirth, once we went to biweekly Harley and three other minis going on at once, even though it was still Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti, I backed away because there were moving the focus of the story away from her little set pieces in Coney Island, her freak show and the scatapult and all the rest of the craziness she was doing. But this one, uh, behind a wonderful sort of split screen cover where we have the Suicide Squad version of Harley and the classic, we have two stories in issue 17. The -hmm. second one, which is co-written by Paul Dini, Interesting. The creator of Harley Quinn. Mm. And that second story, not, not to slight the first one, but the second story is a sort of holiday New Year's story with Harley and Mr. J. And it's called Harley Loves Joker Part One. Very classic sort of story. The Joker is finding there's someone beating him to his favorite robbery spots. <laughs> and, you know, that just that just can't work. Joker world problems. <laughs> yeah. So Harley tries to cheer him up in the usual way Harley tries to cheer him up, which involves, you know, being goofy and Harley and, oh, happy new year and confetti and, you know, the usual sets of stuff. And they take off at the end of the issue to a, a whole new set of adventures that will continue into the next issue. The first story, which is in Harley's regular milieu, <sighs> Like that, huh? That's I actually can get, get one of those in. I, we're setting up a meeting with Harley's mom. Please want to see that. But there's a, as there has been through Amanda and Jimmy's run here, there's some lovely messages. And here it's about uh, respecting homeless folks. They're, they're, they're disappearing. There's something going on in Coney Island. And, and Harley is all about trying to do something positive. As one of the other characters points out, oh, there's a lot of Dr. Quinzel coming out there. And, well, there's time for that. So a wonderful mixed bag of absolute treats in Harley Quinn 17. Well, you sold me. <laughs> there you go. You, you just want that, that Paul Dini story, and I can't blame you. No, it's not even that. You know, you didn't steer me wrong when the Catwoman Bat, uh, Batman story came out. Oh, so good. You have a knack for sniffing out these individual, you know, issues 
issues or tiny arcs of like really sweet spot stories. And uh, I've learned to trust your your opinion over the years. It took a little bit, but you know, Appreciate eventually I that. came around. <laughs> yeah, you even read Fantastic Four for goodness' sake. I love the Fantastic Four. My favorite favorite team. It's true. Yeah, dude. We've been we've been brainwashed here on the show. No, I'm just kidding. That's right. <laughs> Can I just uh, say with all these like crazy uh, like we read so many of these superhero books that and the continuity is so crazy that when Bob finds or like when anything was fine, those like one issue or like two issue mini gems, it's like a godsend because, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's daunting to sit down and think like I have to read 30 issues of Batman, but you know, somebody comes on and they're like, Oh yeah, check out these two issues, the Batman Catwoman stuff. Like that is golden. And I think, and those recommendations are always great. Indeed. That's what Indeed, we're about is recommending cool stuff to each other that no one would find otherwise. <gasps> I'm like, yeah, there are a couple coming later, Joey, that I'm much thankful for you. Actually, one is in my covers piece this week because coming tomorrow is hell in the crash. Number two. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm on that. <laughs> okay. Get around to, uh, to reading that one for sure. Oh, you'll love that. Yeah, I was telling uh, Bronwyn about it last night at dinner, and it was making me crave it, but I was too tired to, to keep going with the books. Uh, but I wanted to make sure I had some things to talk about with you fine folks. And one of the books I read was All New Wolverine number 19. Uh, this is the start. This is one of those like corner number ones where they're like, you can jump on. You can, yeah. you know, <laughs> come on, come along with Laura and so-and-so and Gabby, and they're all here. So here's the thing. There is a still night and, you know, like guys, uh, bad guys are up to no good, but there's something in the sky and it, it's like it's gotten past all of our radars, everybody's stuff undetected and it's coming toward Earth and it's going to touch down and there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. Good thing is, is that not X-23, but Ironheart, uh, new Iron Man, Riri, is there to kind of save the day. And she catches this damn thing and it lands and it opens tiny spoiler, but it's in the first few pages is a little girl, little uh, alien being girl inside the ship. And she whispers to Ironheart. She just goes, Laura Kinney. (gasps) And she she dies. Oh, well, so in the surrounding area of like the blast, People are, you know, gathering their their themselves and they're they're trying to, to get their act together to maybe leave the place. And oh no, people start kind of like transforming and they're sick. And and this alien has brought something that is infecting these people. And uh it is quite deadly and there's nothing we can do about it. So all the heroes that are coming to respond to this kind of blast site. The they're told to stop coming. Like, don't don't come anywhere near here. We can't risk anybody else getting infected. And uh, it's basically up to Laura, since her name was mentioned, that she's the only link. So she just jumps out of a helicopter and is going to like assess the situation. Nice. And it's just it's really cool. Uh, this is also the issue where they changed up her costume. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's very, very akin 
to Deadpool's uh, Uncanny X-Force costume. It's black and gray with uh, like red eyes um, that go in and out that she uses for like, you know, infravision or whatever. And uh, Gabby has her own super suit now as well. And they're fighting as a uh, as like a team, as a duo, almost like a mother daughter duo. Wait, time Uh, out. Last time I read all new Wolverine, Gabby got killed. Whoa, better. You you should have kept reading. (laughs) (laughs) She heals, Bob. Okay, all right. It's kind of you know it comes it comes with the territory. Okay. Can I ask something about all new Wolverine? Yeah. Um, if you uh, tonally, what is the book? Because with Laura in the past, the the books have kind of been like super moody, super dark. But is all new Wolverine? different is is it lighter is it violent like how how would you describe it totally it's it's darker now than it was Mm -hmm. it started off a little brighter a little like cheerier um when gabby was kind of new to the crew and and other characters were around as well uh they really wanted to push her her character because she was going to be you know sticking around for quite a while. Meanwhile, other characters kind of dropped away. Um, she brought a lot of playfulness to the overall tone of the book. You know, um, just like in Logan, when Logan is is getting used to Laura's character, there's a lot of that mother-daughter, uh, even though they're clones, they're not specifically mother and daughter, but because Laura is uh, older and Gabby's a little girl, it just it has that kind of chemistry and vibe to it. Uh, Putting her as like a primary and having her voice show up in the book a lot, like, like I said, really brightened it up now that she's ingrained in the story and she's been around and we're 19 issues in and some really serious stuff is going on that both characters have been through some really traumatic stuff. Mm. uh, It got darker, but there's still like little patches of light that break through every now and again. And, um, particularly through the banter of the characters, Laura and, and Gabby snark at each other all the time. Laura is still trying to do that thing where Gabby gets left behind to, you know, protect her and she doesn't want her to be around. And at one point, Gabby just put her foot down and she's like, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, like if I'm going to be dragged around yep. with you and kind of told to just sit on the sidelines while you're off doing your thing, but we're still going to be together because we are who we are to, each other then you better get used to me and uh it was a really really cool moment uh for her particularly at the end of the last arc and uh i don't know it's it's funny it's totally it's very it's difficult to pin down interesting it kind of it kind of depends on the situation out there and like right now this this issue is very dire you know but gabby really serves to kind of give you like a, a breath of fresh air every couple of pages so it's not oppressive you know, you're not you're not reading like a dark and gritty Wolverine book. You're reading a little bit of a mix. So, see, I read a couple that had Squirrel Girl, and mm-hmm. they had what was it, what's the name of the Wolverine character? The little, the real was it John the Wolverine? Jonathan. Jonathan the Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, okay, this is this is not what I expected at all. So we've gone away from that, but still not into complete Punisher territory. No, 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 okay, no. Good. It's absolutely no. There's no there's no punishing going on. And even even the violence that was, once it was explained, 
was a really, really cool reveal. Like, like in reading so much stuff and not always being surprised by things, Tom Taylor does a really good job of not necessarily like the long game. Cause I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't call it that, but, uh, the payoff I think is good. You know, it's 19 issues in, I'm still reading it. I I've loved it from issue one. You know, it's, it's one of those things that's remained on my pull list the entire time that's been out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's got to say something for it at least. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you're not reading it, if the character interests you, if anything that I've said in the past five minutes sounded cool, pick yourself up a trade of, uh, all new, all different Wolverine and tell him Steve sent you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, boys, uh, please tell me about the book that I didn't read was America. Number one. How awesome was it? Oh, uh, pretty awesome. Indeed. Joey, you want to take the lead on this one? No, you got it. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, we are picking up directly from the end of our last issue in a way in that America has not only discovered something new about her power. She can actually travel through time as well as dimensional portals. You know, she, <laughs> she finds herself punching Nazis, which is never a bad thing, generally speaking. But she's also attracted... I guess the only way you can describe it is sort of intergalactic Facebook followers from the planet Maltixa that she saved last issue. Right? There's no other way to describe that. Right. So it is it is all this craziness. And she's back in World War II. She's, meeting, she's fighting Nazis with Captain America, and, and, and they're leading Hitler away with his hair all disheveled and his mustache a little beaten down. <laughs> when coming out of a little hidey hole is... Peggy Carter. Woo! Why? I mean, why not? I mean, we're doing all this. It is this wonderful little sidebar because the rest of the story, it, there's like four different little stories within this issue. Mm-hmm. We go from there, we go back to Sotomayor University where Lunella Lafayette is lecturing with the dinosaur in charge. And then cyborgs in attack. And then we come all the way back around to the beginning of the story to tie it all back together with a story from the previous issue and an important character to America Chavez. <gasps> I'm I'm just loving this. It is tons of fun. Great character development with from first issue to second here. It's frantically filled with energy just just a lots of lots of heart and humor what about you joy how did you i was going to use the same kind of language to describe it it's this dynamic frenzy from start to finish it just doesn't stop and i just love like the book what gabby rivera is doing with 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 america and with this whole she's taking sci-fi as as punk as it can go like it is going all the way to the edges and then it's stepping over that edge it is transcending it you know like you said it's like these series of vignettes that are kind of connected only through the the kind of um kinetic elevation of the title character right it is like every page just feels like a celebration of america just being awesome and being badass (laughs) and being so cool and i think like in a way, that's the book she deserves, you know, like she's such a 
cool character and here she gets to do cool things you know and she gets yeah. to just it, it, it feels like um like what is it even I, it's hard to even pin down what it's like it's like it's oh you know what it's like actually in a lot of ways it's like those young animal books that we were talking about last spring yeah in terms of it just has this kind of edge to them and mm-hmm. they're not afraid to just be absurd and be wild and and make you laugh and if the joke doesn't land the next panel there's another one you know and, one, and, right. and, and and Rivera is just so has so so clearly having fun with this book um and the art team too Joe Canones, Ming Doyle um Jose Villarubia like it's just a bright book it's great America looks great the supporting cast is being fleshed out um yeah, I just think it's such a great book. It's an important book. And when you pair it with the next book that we're talking about, I read them both back to back. And I was just like, Me too. I was like, this is the corner of Marvel that I, I love reading. Uh, you know, so yeah, America is definitely staying on my pull list for the foreseeable future. And hopefully it gets a, a good run. Nice. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to know because we sales were good. And you hope they'll continue and more people will continue to pick it up. It is an interesting mix of genres in a different way. So much sci-fi today in these books is either the ultra-cosmic or it's dystopian futures and old and horror-y aspects. And they're fun, too. But this is somewhere different. Yeah. Flash and Gordon that, kind of thing, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It, there's a there's, And it's self-referential, but not to the point of, Hey, look what I'm doing here. It's just craziness. It is just absolute craziness. And, and like you're saying, Joey, it's it's sort of like the Rodney Dangerfield or Henny Youngman of this. It's, <laughs> here's a joke. Here's another joke. Another joke. Another joke. Another joke. And just 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 go with the flow. Yeah. Nice. I can't wait to get caught up with that. What? Uh, all right. So you guys mentioned the little corner of the Marvel Universe that you love. Oh. Why don't you tell me about the other corner? Hawkeye number five. You're in charge, Joey. All right. Okay. Uh, Hawkeye number five, Kelly Thompson. And I'm just realizing now, not Leonardo Romero, Michael Walsh on art, Jordi Belair still on colors, but I couldn't even tell because it it transitioned seamlessly artwork wise from the first uh, arc. So we're into our second arc here. The big cliffhanger at the end of the last issue was Jessica Jones hanging out in the office. What's she doing there? Who knows? Well, we know now. We read issue number five. Yeah. Um, she's there, and the, and and Kate and Jessica's cases are are crossing. Um, Jessica's got this missing person case, looking for Rebecca Brown. Uh, Kate's been looking for this dude, Brad, and uh, perhaps the disappearance and the sketchiness of Brad have one thing to do with another. Um, uh, the thing that I've been loving about. Hawkeye under Kelly Thompson is that she's really been continuing and building that Kate Bishop character, sliding her into this PI role, really developing and moving her forward and building on what fraction did, what, um, Oh God, Lemire did in the, in the last run too. (laughs) Sorry. I was like, I don't know why I was like, I was like Cullen Bunn. Nope, not Cullen Bunn. (laughs) But anyway, um, really building and really moving her forward. You know, we're seeing her break out on her own and all the kind of, you know, growing pains that come with that. Um, and Jessica Jones coming in 
as someone who Kate herself kind of says is one of her kind of role models and, and idols in, in the business of private investigator, but also superheroes and as a woman too, uh, is just great in this issue. There's all these, it's, it, I got like kind of like zombie land vibes. Cause Kate would have these like pop outs in her narration where she'd be like, Jessica Jones, lesson number one, this Jessica Jones, yeah. lesson number two, Perps always lie, kind of things. It's it's really funny. It's great. Kelly Thompson just has a lightness to her voice that is just so good and so efficient and just great storytelling. There's some awesome like tongue-in-cheek movie references. The the opening panel is amazing. And then we end with like the craziest ending ever for a book that you would assume is so grounded, so, you know, detective comic kind of thing. And then we have this crazy fantasy ending to this book that I don't want to spoil necessarily, but it's just absolutely wild. Um, Hawkeye has just been great since the jump. And I'm just really glad that even though it's changed writers, the core of the Hawkeye franchise has stayed where it has in a lot of ways. And I, and I really enjoy where it's at. Um, Bob, what did you think? Uh, everything you're saying is, is my feelings. Exactly. This book is. I, not that anything we say matters, but boy, Kelly Thompson hey. break breakthrough. <laughs> no, no, Kelly Thompson breakthrough writer. She's on fire right here. Everything else. Superb here. This book is fractional enough that <laughs> she, she's recognizable as that Kate Bishop, but completely Kelly Thompson's own as well. Yeah. Mm. And you've got a great mystery. You've got this comedy. You've got the best use of Jessica Jones in a long time, mm. maybe since Bendis's use of her in New Avengers with the Luke stuff, yeah. where it's she's got her edge, but she's still a detective, but it, she's not. Oh boy, self-loathing and and weird. It's just like no, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm using this in the perfect '40s movie sense, considering the opening reference here to Sunset Boulevard and so on. She's just a broad with a, a chip on her shoulder. It's like I'm doing this and get out of my way, right? You know, when she's trying to get into this this fancy schmancy after hours party, and well, what, what does the guy say? What's his exact line? I, she's trying to say, well, look, we've got to let her and she's a celebrity. I don't recognize her. And, and I mean, she does have hip holes in her pants. <laughs> I love that. I was like, thank you. Kelly Thompson yeah, knows I, how ridiculous this is. Yeah, but can, no, no. That, see, it's, a, it's an Avengers reference. Yeah. It's a Mrs. Peel reference. And so, you know, Jessica knows that. You know, of course she does. She's blank Hawkeye, you dolt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. And, you know, they go right for it. <laughs> so just... Every page, the layouts, you know, uh, Michael Walsh here is carrying through what Leonard, Leonardo Romero was doing, the Hawkeye vision sort of thing that we saw with, with David Aja back that's been carried through. Absolutely. So great layouts, lovely line work, panel to panel beyond the pages themselves, and just charming. And that's a word that, that can't get used enough. There's so much darkness in in these in in books in, in these things that wow having something light having this other little corner to retreat to that has american squirrel girl and and hawkeye in it i'm for it i'm so happy this book is what it is and we have to mention whoa jordy whoa jordy jordy belair's colors completely set up so many of the gags 
the 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 emotions as you're reading it as these people wander mm-hmm. through these scenes, and you know any book that's got a, a, a caption that reads "Splody Arrow goes boom." Absolutely, I'm in. <laughs> Absolutely, I am in. Very very nice. That uh, won't be the the last time that you hear Jordi Belair's name come up on this podcast. <laughs> a little bit of a spoiler for you there, Jordi. All right, so. Going from one of the brightest corners of the Marvel Universe to possibly one of its dimmest and darkest at this present time, uh, we're going to halt a little bit on the Marvel talk to uh, address a bit of a thing. We have uh, Bob and Joey have read uh, X-Men Gold number one. Mm -hmm. It's also a book that has quite a bit of controversy uh, surrounding it. I'll just give you a, a brief uh, overview. Uh, the artist, Ardian Saif, uh, has come under fire for sneaking controversial political and religious references into the book and uh, has since been uh, terminated by Marvel for, uh, for doing this. So we had a couple of people ask us to talk about this. And uh, instead, we've come up with, a, with an alternative and I'm actually going to pass it over to Joey and uh, just let him say a, a couple of things on our behalf. Yeah. Um, look, the, the people that, you know, literally make these comics that we read, writers, illustrators, etc. cetera, uh, these people are artists and artists are people with beliefs, politics, etc., just like the rest of us. Uh, and historically speaking, artists have used their craft to express either explicitly or implicitly those beliefs, sometimes with the intent simply to express and sometimes with the intent to push those beliefs onto others. Uh, and while we can't specifically talk about what Sayaf is doing here because, you know, we're just not hip to Indonesian religious politics and it's not something that we feel uh what's the word qualified perhaps to talk yeah qualified or comfortable perhaps to talk about in depth what we will say is that we think that you know Marvel's statement and actions in the last few days I think reflect and acknowledge uh the nature of Syaf's actions, the lapse in editorial oversight uh, that would prevent actual or potentially hateful or divisive material from appearing in one of their books. Um, and the references as they appear to be and have been reported on in a, a lot of places in question seem to be just that. So from our point of view, I think the manner in which Marvel has chose to quickly address this and address Syaf's behavior and, and the termination as well seems appropriate from, from our perspective. Um, yeah, it's a crazy situation, but they jumped on it, uh, rightfully so, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you very much, Joey. Yeah. Uh, really appreciate Perfect. it. But you guys, you read the book. So barring all of that stuff, um, as important as it is to recognize, what did you think of the actual book? Um, you want to take it, Bob? I, sure. I. It is X-Men Gold number one, Mark Guggenheim, and Artie Siaf. And it is back to the basics. So we have a team now led by Kitty. We have older Logan, Aurora, Kurt, Peter, Rachel Gray, who I used to know as Rachel Summers, but she's taken her mom's name. She's from an alternate timeline, the daughter of Scott and Jean. For those Excalibur fans in the audience, it's that Rachel. So you can go there. Nice. And... For those who picked up that that sort of freebie issue that came out last week and saw some of the bits and pieces or the prime that we all picked up, 
the team is trying to put itself back together with Kitty in charge and to put this back as we're heroes again. And that Kitty's, you know, opening line is sort of, to me, my X-Men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all right. This is where we're going. Their new mansion is now in Central Park. We have some problems with the rent. Hilarious. As, 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 the, as you know, um, as Mr. Peck from Ghostbusters shows up to hand him the rent bill is really what it comes down to. And we have supervillains in charge. Terax from back in John Byrne and Marv Wolfman's X-Men days, who was the herald of Galactus, former ruler of a planet. So huge power level needed team to beat. We have the, the team elements. And it's, it's the family putting itself back together. Is it a little too, for me, at some level, on the nose trying to be the Claremont Byrne X-Men? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but I think that is what is needed right now with all that's gone haywire with this franchise. There are moments where the, it's, you know, the, the, the world that hates and fears them comes back into play. Kitty is trying desperately to have it be better that they can be heroes again. And she makes a lovely speech that I will let you read for yourself. But Joey, what did you, uh, what did you feel about what we had here? I agree. Um, I, th- what you said about it kind of feeling like I've read it before, you know, um, in terms of the X-Men go, the X-Men franchise goes through these cycles where, you know, they really put them through the ringer because, you know, in a lot of ways, and they meant, they talk about this in the book about how the X-Men have kind of been, you know, the outcasts of the Marvel universe and they're put up that way, right? They're, they're, they, that's how they were, the franchise kind of is initiated. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they put them through the ringer and then they, they, they kind of re reload them, if you will, little X-Men reload going back to like 1999 or whatever, uh, with this kind of like this issue, I feel like I've read at least two or three times before, right? You have your opening spread with, with a reminder that mutants are hated and feared. And then we hard cut to the team shot fighting some massively powered Terax, the terrible, whatever, you know? Um, and then, and then we kind of sit back and they kind of get into soap opera mode, which is great. You know, that that formula has worked in the past. It works here in a lot of ways. Guggenheim does a great job of framing all these characters. I'm excited to read them again. I've always been excited to read them. I like seeing them together. Um, but there's a there's – a, and the Rent thing I think is hilarious. Uh, yeah. You know, we go from versus Terax to versus the Rent. And I just – I think that's so great. Um <laughs> But there's a there's a there's a tension in the book, not between the mutants and the brotherhood or whatever, wherever we're going to go with this 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 first story arc. But there's a tension in the book between the past and the future and the idea of like heroes and the outcasts. And and this actually happens in the book. Aurora and, and Kurt have this great conversation about, you know, past is prologue. And I feel like we're, 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 we're trying to be heroes again, etc. And then the next page is Rachel Gray, who has the awful name prestige now. Yeah, that's gotta go. I love seeing Rachel Gray. She's one of my favorite characters. Prestige is just an awful code name, but anyway, and she's having a conversation with, Younger mutants like Armor and um, 
rock slide in the danger room. And she's talking about feeling too linked to the past and too linked to, 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 to what came before and wanting to move forward. Right. And I think that that tension is an interesting one. I don't know if that's thematically what Guggenheim's going to explore, but it was very apparent in this issue, X-Men gold, you know, with characters like old man Logan and Kitty pride and all of this about, you know, wanting to move forward, but also wanting to return to like the way things used to be. And I just found that, I just found that really interesting as someone who's been reading X-Men for a while and got into comics because of X-Men, you know, I, I find myself at a, at a, at a, a challenging point too, where like, you know, there, there is a version of the X Men that I did fall in love with, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I enjoy going back and reading, and I have those trades on my shelf. But do I want to go uh, back to that, or do I want to move forward in the stories and move forward in the characters? You know, some of the some of my favorite things to read are both the Claremont stuff, but also the runs on new X-Men and young X-Men and, and like the, the new characters. And, and, and that's what, to be honest of all of the X-Men relaunch stuff that's coming out, I think X-Men gold is a well-written piece of, of, uh, of storytelling. And I look, I'm glad that it exists, but of all of them, I'm most excited for generation X. I'm yes. most excited to see that book because I, I cause I, I worry with a book like X-Men gold that we're going to fall into sort of retreading and reframing stories in a way. And like, look, it's the new brotherhood and look, it's the Sentinels again. And when's this character coming in and when's this version of the character coming in? And, and that happens every so often with these superhero franchises. But what makes, what has always made X-Men exciting for me was that there were always new mutants. You know, there are always new people coming in. And and that's when I really got into the book. That's why, you know, I never really got into Avengers. But the second Young Avengers dropped, I was all over that book. You know, Um, there's something about that that I really like. And and I worry just a little bit with X-Men Gold that we're not going to get that side of the mutants. Um, No, I I, I don't disagree. I mean, we even have a uh, right after that Rachel page, there's a Peter Kitty page. Yeah. Which is where great. they sort of re-explore, and she even makes mention of uses the line "I survived the experience," you know, from the, the cover of one thirty nine, way 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 back. Right. But the X Men haven't been the real X Men for so long now. With the Inhuman stuff, yeah. Right, and and even going further back with all the various changes and Emma being in charge and Magneto being in charge and all the rest. Yeah, but that was awesome. <laughs> Um, the Emma yeah, stuff. But, Emma Frost became such an amazing character in those years, though, and I kind of missed her in, in the X Men Gold. And I don't know where she's at. I didn't read the Inhuman stuff, so I, I know she was there. But you know, whatever. But for well, it's just for newer readers who haven't experienced as many as as we have. It's nice that this book is there for them. If you want to show someone, well, here's what this book was. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and can, those stories can, are still relevant. There are ways to to use those themes, and use these classic characters in a way that shows their classic nature. Without, again, you have to be careful. It doesn't drift into just pure homage or just retread. Right. But this issue had, a, I think, had a nice balance. And let's just hope they. The team can continue that moving forward, particularly with a couple of months. It may be tough. Right. So we'll see. But I, I think it was a nice beginning and, a, and a kind of a, for me, a necessary book to maybe 
be the plant the flag. Here's what the X-Men are going to try to be from here on in. We are going to try to be heroes again. It may not always work, but we may aspire to that. Right. Okay. Two things. Sure. One. One. Joey. Yes. Thank you for getting Enigma's Return to Innocence stuck in my head. <laughs> I really appreciate that. There you go. I will have my revenge. Uh, and two... You guys answered every damn question practically in sequential order that I thought of while you were chatting away. Hey, man, so we, we get, we're on the same like wavelength over here, man. Just like I can see that synergy, <laughs> synergy. So, OK, but here, 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 I'll, I'll I'm going to I'm going to round it all up into one, one, one coup de gras question. What should if I haven't been reading X-Men if if the Generations book wasn't coming out, mm-hmm. okay, if that wasn't coming out, because that's the one that I'm waiting for, right? Would this be the time? Is this is this the time for me to go and pick up an X Men book and get involved? Yes. Yeah. What's your? But here's the thing. What is your X Men jam, so to speak? Right. Where Where are you at? In um, terms of I'm like your Joey. Era? I want. Yeah. I want. I want. I don't have an X Men era. I really don't. Okay. Like I. I loved my favorite thing. My favorite thing X-Men was uh, Uncanny X-Force. I don't even know if you can. I mean, is that does that count? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And and, yeah. and Weapon X is coming out or Weapon. What, I think that's what it's called. Right. So if, if that's your jam, that that's going to be in there. It's a lot of the same team. Warpath is coming back and, and yeah. Laura's on that team and Lady Deathstrike and Wolverine, like they're all going to be there. It might be that vibe. That's the great thing about the X-Men right. stuff. And, 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 you know, when they do these relaunches, they fill those niche. Like there's really no other franchise that could fill the various kind of corners the way that the X-Men can. They've tried it with mm-hmm. Avengers. I remember they did like Avengers, new Avengers, secret Avengers, dark Avengers. Like they tried to do that back in like 2011, yeah. 2012 yeah. when the movie was coming out. But the X-Men, they've always been able to do that because you had characters like Wolverine and X-23 and Warpath and, and and Mystique and Deadpool. But then you also had characters like, you know, Dust and Gentle and Surge and Mercury and all those young X-Men, too. And then you had the yeah. classic and the astonishing. And, and like they've always just naturally filled that because it's been a it's been a it's been a franchise about having those diverse characters and hence diverse kind of. Um, identities within it. So the fact that they're relaunching and they they seem to be hitting those boxes again, they seem to be hitting those different books. I think it is definitely a time to jump on. And X Men Gold, yeah. like Bob was yeah. saying, like I could have my my feelings about it, but it is a good place to jump on. You know, they're not lying about okay. that. All right. See, I'm waiting for, and I'm what I'm hoping Generations is going to be is like I'm waiting for either a companion piece or a next level Wolverine in the X Men. That's kind of what I'm waiting for. That that young, you know, new X Men school vibe that they had going on with that book. That, that book was amazing. Yeah, totally. So I, I like seeing like Quentin Quire, Eye Boy. Like I want to see those characters again. Armor and just all those like really cool newer uh, mutants. And uh, I don't know. I I don't know. It's weird. I, I I go. I blow hot and cold with both Avengers and X Men. I'm there. There. It's been years since mm-hmm. I feel like I've I've read uh, anything. I'm waiting for that Avengers Volume One to come out. The uh, Mike Del Mundo and uh, uh, oh my God, is it Mark Wade? Yeah. No. Yeah. Is it okay? 
Yeah, I'm waiting for that to hit the shelves. I want to I want to read that uh, in trade form. So maybe when that comes, out. I like the first issue for sure. So we'll see what happens. Still waiting for my time in the sun <laughs> with uh, X Men and Avengers. I've had it before, but uh, skies have gone gray for a little while for old Steve. But uh, whatever, I'll get my groove back. So <laughs> moving on, you like that, huh? That was good. Nice. How Steve got Stella. his groove back. Yeah, all right. <laughs> all right, we're going to move on from the Marvel Universe and into indie territory because we got a bunch of indie books to talk about this week. So much. There's vampires, there's blood, there's magic, there's newsies. It's all <laughs> over the map. Yeah. All over the I'm not going to curse. Joey. Yes. 30 days of night, 15th anniversary edition collection. Tell me about it, dude. I, um, this probably dropped. I want to say two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, IDW released it. It's 15th anniversary edition of 30 days of night. You may have seen the movie with, uh, Josh Hartnett. You know, the premise is, is pretty straightforward up in Barrow, Alaska. There's one month where the sun doesn't come up. So, what better time for vampires to get their to get their eat on, you know? Uh, and that's the basic premise, and it's terrifying. But I'd never actually read the books, so when I saw that they were releasing this 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 anniversary edition, I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. Um, so what what IDW does is they collected everything that Steve Niles uh, did, who Steve Niles and Ben Temple Smith. And Robbie Robbins uh, were the original team on it. They did the original 30 Days of Night back in 2002 following, you know, Sheriff, the sheriffs, Eben and Stella um, Oleman and, and their fight against the vampires. And then it also collects their work on 2003's uh, 30 Days a Night, Dark Days, right? Which was a follow-up to it. We follow some of those characters in the aftermath of it. And then a third follow-up, which was Return to Barrow. Uh, there's been more 30 Days of Night since then, and there's been a ton of, oh. you know, uh, Matt Fraction was on a book. Kelly Sue DeConnick did a, did a book, too, for 30 Days of Night. Uh, some, like, little one-shots here and there. So the franchise has really grown in the last 15 years, but it was nice to see them collecting kind of the original pieces here. And it's it's really good. Um, it's... It's moody. It is terrifying. You know, Ben Templesmith, like this, this is the book. He's, he's got a name now kind of in horror comic circles. You know, he's got a very distinctive art style, but 30 days a night, I think is the book that really put him on the map in a lot of ways. Same thing with Steve Niles. Um, so to kind of read their original work here and to kind of really experience, to experience the atmosphere of it, uh, was just really cool. It took a little while to get through because there's just so much book there, but it's it's really cool, really worth it if you want to kind of see. You know, this is back in 2002, 2003. I think horror comics is in a good place now with people like I mentioned it before with people like Cullen Bunn and and uh, Vanessa Del Rey. You know, really iconic kind of people working in it now. But if you go back, like I think Third Days and Night is one of kind of the seminal pieces, and, and getting an anniversary edition I think is is well deserved. And I love the movie too; uh, it's really good. So I was I was really excited to read it, and uh, I was not surprised that I enjoyed it as much as I did. Mm-hmm. I uh, I remember I haven't seen the movie in a long time, but I remember liking it yeah. when it came out for sure. Uh, I think at the time, well, uh, vampire movies were hitting that point where they were getting to be a little overdone and then that came out and it was different in a way yeah and was is was refreshing and scary like the vampires were actually that was that's what it was vampires were kind of like 
a little too not scary. Yeah. I'll say that. And then that came along and I was like, oh, good God. Okay. Yeah. They're uh, they're they're certainly freaky. Now remember the the thing about Templesmith's work too is like he's the kind of artist where you really have to like look at the page to really see what's going on. You know he mm-hmm. he plays with kind of like you know ambiguity and kind of muddled imagery and it's everything kind of is just washed in these grays. But then by looking so closely, when you turn the page and it's just bloody fangs, you're like shit, damn it! You know, like, <laughs> it just it just pops right in your face. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it and and uh, well deserving of the collection that it gets. Fantastic! I'm glad that uh, I'm glad you were able to explore that and that you had a good time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I've read a couple of 30 Days of Night things. I know they're in my collection. I might have to uncover those when uh, when I go to get my stuff from the storage unit and see what's up. Uh, Joey, I want you to repeat after me Yeah. and get this party started. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Revolution, number one, IDW. Revolution. <laughs> was last summer's kind of crossover where IDW was like, G.I. Joe's, Transformers, Micronauts, all of our action figure uh, licenses, one comic fighting each other, yeah! And uh, it was cool. I read the first couple of issues of that. It was awesome. So now that we're a couple of months removed, they hired Art Baltazar to do, like, the little kid, like, you know, Super Friends version, Tiny Titans version of All Yeah! Revolution. So it's like... Tiny Micronauts, tinier Micronauts, tiny Transformers, tiny G.I. Joes, tiny ROM. And they're still like doing sci-fi space stuff. Um, it's exactly what you would think if you've read Tiny Titans or if you've read Super Friends or if you've read anything that that Art or Franco uh, do together, you know. Um, and it's cool. It's just cool to see them. You know, when they do the Super Friends stuff, you're like, oh, look, it's Art Baldazar doing Superman and Wonder Woman. And here it's like, oh, look, it's it's Art Baldazar doing Optimus Prime, you know. And, and how do you say no to that? So I really jumped onto this because I saw his name on it. And, and it was just as fun mm-hmm. as you'd think. Um, it was a big week for IDW. It was that fifth week. And I think IDW was like, we're going to release all of our stuff this week. <laughs> uh, and, it, and it was a good choice because it was just a lot of, a lot of good stuff last week. Um, and all oh, yeah, revolution was a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's very cool. Cool. Uh, and thank you for checking those out and bringing them to the show. A little bit of variety. Yeah, dude. For, uh, for that ass. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Moving right along, <laughs> dude, I'm having a good time. I have a fever. It's great. Um, Let's talk about. I have a feeling we're gonna. This this is gonna be a bit of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Image Comics came out with a book from Jason Latour and Ivan Brandon called huh. Black Cloud. Mm-hmm. Was it Jason Aaron? One. Did I did I get that wrong? Jason Latour. Oh. Jason Latour. Okay, I was close. <laughs> <laughs> you got half. You know, half half is good. Yeah. Half half is not bad. But uh, so. Here's the deal. I am not I'm not leading the charge on this one because I think I'm going to have my friends explain it to me because I read it and you're confused. I definitely don't understand all of what's going on. I got some of it. Got some of it. I have some words to say about it. Uh, but holy hell, I don't know if 
I have any idea what's going on. It's a Somebody trip, man. Me. You didn't. I like, don't think you're supposed to know yeah. everything that's going on yet. When you oh, open that God. book and you and where it starts is very different from where it ends, and it moves through a lot of different places. Like what I gleaned from it. So it's it's basically. I mean, if you had to kind of characterize it, it is this kind of strange sci-fi fantasy adventure, equal parts like. Fifth Element Blade Runner imagery with some Brazil and Imaginarium stuff worked into like it's it's oh, a trip. Dude. It's a trip, and like what you got is this protagonist, Miss Barrett. Um, you know, and she basically has this power, or she's from a a a a, a place where you have the ability to jump in and out of these kind of dimensions, but these dimensions might also be kind of just like stories, and then the stories give her this power and then basically what happens in the in the course of the book is like she sells this power and she takes yuppies into these alternate realms to yeah. make money so that she can survive and then the mayor finds out and wants her to use that power to it's just it it it, it runs over the course of like 24 pages so much happens oh um, my god totally yeah. and even like the little prologue with the giant monster and stuff not a clue not a clue what's happening there at the same time, rich in imagery, rich in that high concept fantasy, I was intrigued. I, I kind of want to know where it goes. Let I'm, me ask with you. Go ahead. Let me Dave. let me ask you this real quick. You said you don't understand what's going on in the beginning. Maybe I have something for you. Oh snap! What if that's one of the stories, and that giant like lightning blade mm-hmm. that she carries is her way of bottling? Uh, the story's energy, and that's her going into one of these stories and kind of siphoning off one of these giant beasts and going back to the city to sell that power Interesting. to the yuppies. Mm-hmm. Like that's her way of kind of gathering the magic, right. so to speak. Right. It's just an idea because I have no idea what the hell is going on. Although what you just said a few minutes ago helped a lot, so thank you. Um, but well, it's she funny that, that you- li- she has that line. What if I told you I'm from a place that saw all this coming? Huh. Right. It's funny, like you were like rattling off a couple of things that it reminded you of. And I was listening to the list and like I got some other vibes. I got, I got a little bit of Dark City. I yeah. got a little bit of um, Black Sad in this, uh, particularly with all the animal characters and stuff like that. Um, a little bit of Ralph Stedman, even uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas in terms of like the lounge lizard characters oh, and things like that. Interesting. Right. Like it's all over the map. And um, I want to let Bob uh, give his thoughts right now. But the last thing I would say real quick is the color. Yeah. The, the color work in, in this comic is worth the price of admission. Matt alone. Wilson, Matt Wilson, baby. Oh, so good. So, so, so good. I, I loved I loved it based off of just I mean, the story was entertaining, too. And I'm totally intrigued and I want to I want to move forward with it. I'm going to keep reading it. Um, but it was really the use of color. We saw some of it in uh, Black Magic, uh, Greg Ruck and Nicholas Scott, where using like selective color to tell a story or to highlight characters or scenes. Yeah. And that's all over this comic. And it's brilliantly executed. There's two uh, colorists here, Matt Wilson. And then someone D kind of is on color flats. So I'd be interesting in that process, too. You know, like mm-hmm. what, what's the differentiation between those two? But yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Bob, please, let's uh, sure. let's hear your thoughts. I thought it was a very interesting use of a number of different premises, sort of 
mixed together in a different sort of way than anything I can recall seeing before. It is nicely mysterious with just enough stuff thrown in that I want to know more. I'm drawn in by how this works. Nothing is given away. I'll say something to you, Steve, that you'll appreciate. I think this has very much of a clean room vibe. Ooh. That mm. this is gonna this is gonna grow and the story is gonna continue to change and morph and who's who's doing what and where to who and how is gonna change as we go on. I think there are characters here with lots of secrets. As as Ms. Barrett says, you can live a fairy tale, you can have your dreams one by one until you you're all out. And then I'll find you other dreams because I believe in you. But why Aww. does she believe in yeah, but why does she believe <laughs> in in this fella who we then discover there's something else going on about? Mm-hmm. What's the level of that? Does she know beforehand? Because she has seen it all before, she says. What if she's uh, able to see into your dreams and she can see your your subconscious and she knows the kind of person you really are? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Maybe, maybe this comic is coming just at the right time with Clean Room, unfortunately, going away. We have a different, like, more cerebral comic to chew on. Interesting. I, yeah, until until Gail uh, figures it out. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, hot damn. I, uh, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I, uh, I'm definitely, definitely going to be uh, trying my best to, to keep up with it because I think it's... Uh, very cool. I'll be curious how it how it runs issue to issue, and that if we go a whole month out, if it's going to be hard to uh, grab a hold of the thread again. But uh, That's a good point. Yeah. it's one of those things where I think reading it in pieces will be an interesting experiment, and then grabbing the trade and reading it all at once and having it all really come together to stay in, in that world and stuff. Uh, I think we're going to have two different types of reading experiences here, and I'll be very curious to uh, see which one goes better. Yes. You, you know, sometimes yeah. I like to read it all collected. This is one of those things where I kind of want to do both. And uh, I don't always say that too often. So kudos, Mr. Jason Latour and friends. Or Jason Aaron, whoever. Yeah, that guy too. I love him too. They could all, they could all come down. They could all come down. Hope you brought your suit. Jump in the hot tub. All right. Uh, let's talk about a different indie book that I read called Extremity. Uh, it's from Image Comics again. This is Daniel Warren Johnson. Uh, he is the creator, writer, and artist of Extremity. Wow. And Mike Spicer, not Sean, not Sean on colors. <laughs> and Ross Wooten on letters. I had to. I had to. You had to. I had to. It was right there. It was right there. Low-hanging fruit. Oh, that jerk. Anyway, <laughs> so, so, no, no, we're not going to go there. We're, we're already no. past it. What if I told you what if I told you that extremity is kind of like an intergalactic Mad Max meets Game of Thrones? Oh. I mean, would that would that be would that pique your interest? Here's yeah, the thing. Yes, yes it would. I'm going to be I'm going to be straight up with you right now. I was going to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it because I I believe in being straightforward with people. Um every now and again, I realize how many uh, female characters we bring to the show and how many like uh, female-driven books that we have. And that's awesome. And I want to keep doing that because that's what I do and that's where I read and all of that stuff. But I went into this week's uh, poll list with the, the idea of like, okay, I'm going to 
I'm going to bring a male led book to the podcast this week purposefully. And I'm going to check something out brand new just to kind of shake things up a little bit. And I see this cover to this book and it's this armored, long haired makeup character with one arm, one mechanical arm. And, and there's just, there's blood, there's torn pages from a book standing on top of bodies and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, this is here we go. Like extremity <laughs> and it's written in blood, like violence, behemoth uh, heroes. Like this is the stuff. Let's go. And then, of course, I open the book and to my surprise, though, much to my delight, that is not a female. I mean, I'm sorry. That is not a male character on the cover. It is just a very armored female character <laughs> nice. on the cover. And she rules. <laughs> and it's so good. And I'm like, damn it. I guys, I tried. I really tried. But I, you know, I, I failed and I won at the same time. Um, but but here's the thing though. Uh underneath all of that armor and blood and body parts and all those things is also like a really touching father and son story. You get this uh this whole setup of Father has, uh, you know, son and daughter. Daughter is the straight up warrior type who just guts people left and right and will do whatever she has to for the family and for for their survival and who's left of their tribe and all of these things. And this giant, you know, galactic uh, battle that's waging across all these territories and planets and things like that. And then you have the younger brother who doesn't like violence, doesn't like war and is, you know, a disappointment to his father in some regards. And he basically is given the opportunity to prevent something and he doesn't, and it destroys, uh, the family, so to speak. They're still alive, but other people are not. And the sister who was once a, an absolutely incredible artist, uh, as a warning, basically, uh, has her hand ripped off by, uh, this thing that's a part of the, uh, Paznina, which is kind of this uh, tribe that is is coming after their people and and sends them rewarding, but is coming back later to devastate them and wipe them off, you know, wipe them from existence and things like that. And so they decide that they're going to take the fight to them. They're not going to wait. And what you get is this kind of like balls to the wall, super sci-fi, super violent, uh, not artfully like Luther Strode, but in terms of like intestines going to and fro <laughs> viscera and yeah, just, you know, heads a lopping, uh, people getting interrupted mid sentence because they're being carved from the groin up in half, mm. things like that. Who needs a spleen after? Right. Right. Yeah. But, um, it's really cleverly written. It's got all these cool twists, uh, it's very Mad Max. Like if you're into Mad Max at all, this definitely has a Mad Max vibe. You've got like kind of these loathsome villain characters that are uh, just very obese and kind of uh, gra- like grazing and enjoying like their own gluttony and, and the kind of the slimy people that follow them. And uh, these these people that are willing to take them out no matter what it takes, even if it's like a suicide mission. Uh, taking like the only vehicles they have, smashing them into the sides of their structures to weaken them before breaking down all the walls and sending people in. And it's just crazy. I read the first two issues, really, really enjoyed the hell out of it. And 
I'm really, really excited to have a, a new image series to, uh, to read. It's been a while since I've kind of gone with the dystopian thing, but this has got a bit of a different flavor to it because there are lots of undertones of emotion. You know, there's this thing going on between the father and son. There's even something with the warrior sister who, although she does, you know, what she's told, she carries out the father's orders. Um, she doesn't like it. So she kind of identifies with the brother, but can't tell the father. And it's this whole thing. And, and the, the drama is really good. The violence is really good. The art is fantastic. Uh, really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, if you're looking, if any of that sounds cool to you, go and pick it up. Highly recommend it. It's uh, Extremity from Image Comics. Uh, find it on your comic book stands today. What's next? Kill Shakespeare. <laughs> Pass this prologue. This is a long title, man. Juliet number. How many titles this thing needs? So many, dude. Kill Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Pass this prologue. Juliet number one. Oh, shit. Shit is right, man. No, shit. no. <laughs> I. Wait. Yeah. So Kill Shakespeare is a franchise that I've always meant to read and never did. <laughs> Cause never? Like, you know, and I never did because, you know, I feel like I would appreciate it and I just never oh, really oh, <laughs> had to bring that back, man. As an English teacher, you know, like I teach Shakespeare all the time and what kill Shakespeare pretty much does is like, it takes all of the Shakespearean characters and it puts them all in the same story. Right. So it's been going on for years. And finally, I just got to the point where I saw a number one coming out. Kill Shakespeare, Passes Prologue, Juliet number one. And I was like, I'm going to read it. And I freaking loved it. It was awesome. Um, Basically, the story here is that Juliet of Romeo and Juliet fame, post spoilers here, post Romeo dying. All right. What? Right. Juliet, the, the, he, uh, what, what? Spoiler alert, when was it written? 1693. <laughs> um, okay. Connor McCreary keeps Juliet alive, and basically she's in kind of mourning here, and and, and she's grieving Romeo, and, and we get a lot of kind of discussion about, you know, her wanting to, as in the play, kind of follow him, you know, off, right? And uh, we have a lot of interaction with her mother, and her mother is now married to Shylock from Merchant of Venice. Oh, stop! Right, and Benvolio's here, pining after Juliet, and and the and a, and a clown shows up in the middle of the book, and then all of a sudden there's this crazy explosion, and it's just it's a crazy book. It's a lot like what's um what's that book with all the fairy, uh, fables, right? How they they take all of the the mm-hmm. the fairy tale characters and kind of put them into the same story kill Shakespeare does the same thing. And again, just speaking as someone who like gets the references and, you know, the clown says to Juliet when she's standing with the, the, the knife in her hand, he says, you know, is that a dagger I see before me, which is a line right out of Macbeth. And I'm just (laughs) like, I'm reading this book. I'm reading this comic and I'm like, yes, yes. My job is justified. You know? And I, (laughs) I just, I really enjoyed it. I, I want to go back and read, I've always meant to, and, and reading this issue too, like I, I want to go back and read a lot of the Kill Shakespeare stuff because I just love the premise. I love the idea of taking these characters and uh, and putting them together and, and seeing what Hamlet would say to Othello and how Iago would react to Lady Macbeth and things like that. I, it's just such a, it's such a cool thing. I think they'd be bugged. 100%. You know, it's just really yeah. cool. Side note, tangent... The public just announced a production of Hamlet this summer with Oscar Isaac as in in the cast. So if you want Poe Dameron in there as Hamlet, 
at the public this summer. Uh, check it out. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Very, very, very cool. Very cool. All right. So, yeah, man, I'm surprised it's taken you that long to check that out. I know. I feel bad, but I'm glad I did. Was it was it fear? No. Um, well, OK. So it, I think part of it is feeling like I missed the beginning and now I was worried about jumping on because it's one of those books where they, it's almost like lock and key in a lot of ways, too. Like why I haven't just started lock and key because I just feel like there's, I know it's the same thing. Like, I just feel like there's so much of it. And I don't kind of know where to start. So when I saw this, oh. I just said to myself, you know what? I'm going to start here. And I could, I got it. I, I understood what was happening. You know, you, you know, these care, public domain, you know? <laughs> like, so like, I, and I've read the plays. So like, I, I knew basically what was going on. And I was just like, what, what was I afraid of? It's comics, man. Just pick up any one. You can just jump right into it. But you know, yeah, I really enjoyed it. We got to get you lock and key, dude. I know. I know. We do. I just, I, I'm just going to mail you my collection. <laughs> this <laughs> is not a long box shows up on my stoop. I don't know if you can, if you can be here <laughs> anymore. Bye. Uh, let's, let's put it to a vote. Uh, listeners tweet us. <laughs> at, I'm just kidding. All right. Moving right along because we want to keep things under control for this podcast. I want to tell you guys about a book called the nameless city the Stone Heart. Uh, this is a graphic novel from First, Second, and Faith Aaron Hicks, who, if you did not know, uh, I think I mentioned it last week when I said that I was excited for this to come out, but uh, The Nameless City has recently been picked up to be adapted into a 12-episode uh, series, four episodes per book, uh, per volume, uh, from Frederator Studios. So this is going to animation, and I'm super 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 excited because i loved the first volume as much as i loved the first volume let me tell you volume two the stone heart somehow was like double double better i'm i'm gonna murder the english language right now but oh man this was so good it is uh if, if you don't know what it is it reminds me a lot of uh Avatar The Last Airbender, which I know have got, gotten a couple of people to go and pick this up. And it really does. In terms of uh, depth of character, the world is is kind of reminiscent of that. But it's also uh, extremely political. But it's, it's territories and ideals fighting against one another. And you have this really, really sweet story of these two kids from both sides that see past all the differences and see they they see beyond the past and they don't blame each other for what came before they only care about what happens now and and they're gonna be friends and they're gonna teach each other their ways and they're gonna do their best to kind of shape the new world and and usher in these changes and then somebody comes along this jerk face that i've hated since book one and he comes in and he does something really heinous to a character that I loved. And now all of it's gone to shit. And it's up to Kaido and Rat and their monk friends to kind of right the boat and, and steer it in a better position. But it's going to be really hard to do that because the people in charge are just making terrible decisions. They don't like each other and they, they, they don't 
seem to want a better world. They value too much of the past and the ways of the past to see that it's not working anymore. And uh, it's just it becomes this really incredible story of like blackmail and backstabbing and and friendship and, and all these you know, lovely things to kind of balance out the darkness of it. And there's definitely a dark cloud over this volume. I don't know if things are going to lighten up in the third one in the finale, but um, I have a feeling the sun will come in toward the end because how could you not have this end happily? Uh, but seriously, Faith Aaron Hicks, The Nameless City, uh, volumes one and two are uh, in stores now. I found this at Chapters or Barnes & Noble, if you will, Amazon. I don't know that every comic shop is going to have it uh, I tried going to mine and they didn't they didn't carry it. So I needed to go elsewhere. So uh, if you don't see it in the comic shops, you might want to try like a more um, bigger outlet than that uh, a bookstore more than a yeah. comic shop. OK, yeah, it, it's um it's very much like a uh, like a scholastic presentation in some ways. Uh, Faith Aaron Hicks does all, all the writing. She does all the art. But it's uh, Jordi Belair who does hey. all the colors. For uh, see, I told you she'd come back up mm-hmm. for the nameless city, and just like Bob was saying uh, earlier about how her colors bring the panels to life, that could not be more true. In this, this whole book has this really, really beautiful uh, aesthetic to it that you know pays tribute to the culture it's pulling from, and and all of these things, and uh, even the art is better. Like it's really cool to see the same creator doing the same series. But from book to book, you kind of see this slight evolution yeah. uh, in art presentation. And there's, you know, it's more expressive. It's got more more flow to it. The, the panels are a little bit more complex than they were the last time. You know, in the action sequences, they're broken up a little bit more so that there's different, like if it's a fight sequence, there's more um, kind of throwing around of throwing of punches and kicks and leaps. And there's this really cool training sequence where Kaido is kind of having himself tested. And I love that he's tapping into kind of his parkour abilities that he learned from rat in the first, in the first book. And this teacher just comes to humiliate him in front of all of his friends. And he just swoops and wishes and dodges every damn thing. The guy tries to throw at him, even at the end when he tries to trick him, he still figures it out and moves out of the way. And it was such a, like a fist pumpingly cool moment for him. And it was like, yeah, jerk. Like you can't, you know, you, you can't humiliate Kaido in front of his friends. You crazy. He's been parkouring all over the city. Sit down. (laughs) So, um, really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I was, Again, just so out of it when I read it that uh, I put a really big smile on my face when uh, when I was going through it. I had to read it in parts, though, because it was heavy. Like, it was really heavy. Like, some of the some of the secrets that are going on in this book are pretty devastating. And when you have friends that are keeping things from one another, it creates a lot of tension. And uh, just beautifully, beautifully done. And uh, super quick. Uh, I want to talk about another book, another graphic novel that I picked up when I picked up uh, The Nameless City called Newsprints. And this is actually from Scholastic and a uh, creator named Rue Zhu. So uh, Newsprints is a steampunk adventure of a newsie who basically is a she's a female, but she's a boy in disguise. So she's posing as a boy because you can only be a newsie if you're um 
if you're male. So she basically dresses up, puts a hat on, shortens her hair and gets the overalls. And well, I, I read that one. <laughs> okay. And no, um, no, she Julie basically, that's all. okay. She, I am so not familiar. She uh, becomes orphaned and the people that run the newspaper offer to take her in. And only some of them know uh, her secret. And uh, she basically, in order to have her finger on the pulse of the city, in order to bring people what she feels uh, is the truth, which is kind of timely and interesting with all the fake news stuff that is going on. Um, so what you also got is a steampunk adventure where she meets a kind of like a mad techno scientist that's uh, hiding out in town and she ends up becoming his apprentice. And by way of becoming his apprentice, you find out that he's involved in all these political things that are going on. And he has knowledge of a weapon that could maybe be used against the enemy. And it becomes a search for the scientist, the search for the character's name that I mentioned before is named blue. Um, little boy blue is, is the reference. And, uh, this one other super mysterious character that I don't want to talk about because the reveal and, and, who that character ends up being to the story is very vital and kind of pushes the whole thing along. Uh, it reminds me a lot of the old uh, sci-fi Metropolis mm. uh, in a lot of ways. So if you've ever seen that, or if you've ever seen the anime of Metropolis, which uh, I still owe Bob a movie night for that uh, <laughs> is absolutely stupendous, particularly the soundtrack, the soundtrack to that movie. Oh, so good. But uh, yeah, Newsprints has got a lot of those things. So uh, there's definitely, I feel like there's going to be another volume coming because I don't see where they ended it being the definitive end. I think we're going to go on. Uh, so yeah, if uh, if things like Metropolis or even, um, was it Kaido Kozu's series Amulet that comes out from Scholastic? That's got about seven volumes now. It's reminiscent of that too. Uh, art style anyway, which is very... Uh, Steampunk meets anime meets uh, almost Tintin, uh, Adventures of Tintin kind of style. So, uh, yeah. Cool. I feel like I end every damn thing I talk about with a commercial to go and, and pick the yeah. damn. <laughs> That's, That's why good. we're here. I know. I guess. I mean, look, it's a good time. If you want to have a good time, go pick it up. If you don't, if you want to have a bad time, then don't pick it up and don't say I didn't tell you. All right. <laughs> I'm confused now. No, you're not. Moving right along. <laughs> Penny Dreadful, number one, Joey. Oh, Penny Let's... Dreadful. Penny, I freaking... Did you guys watch Penny Dreadful? Yes. Uh-uh. Oh, Penny Dreadful. When that, when that show ended on a surprise, the end, everyone mm-hmm. was sad because that show was freaking amazing. Uh, Titan ran a kind of comic book adaptation of Penny Dreadful, like a kind of a prologue piece uh, earlier this year. And now we're in kind of Penny Dreadful 2, quote-unquote, and this is the first issue of that. Basically, it's six months after the events of the series. Um, All of your favorite characters show up. It's written by one of the producers of the show, Chris King, with art by Jesus Hervas. Um, Sir Malcolm shows up. Ethan Chandler shows up. A lot of the supporting cast shows up from the tail end of the season. Um, One character in particular, Katriona Hardigan, shows up who only showed up at the very end of the show. She was like this badass kind of like Kate Beckinsale and Blade Runner, but not a vampire, like Van Helsing kind of character. Um, Really cool, really awesome. And she gets some really great stuff in the the comic book adaptation. 
I really picked it up because I just wanted more of the universe. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Penny Dreadful is kind of like takes the characters of uh, kind of Victorian era gothic literature, Frankenstein, vampires, Dracula, et cetera, et cetera, and puts them all into like the same universe. And uh, the comic book does a great job of continuing that vibe, continuing that feel, and continuing the adventure of these stories that, you know, mentioned Josh Hartnett before. I saw him in this comic book and I was like, <laughs> yes. So it's, it's really cool. And I'm really glad that, that, that Titan is able to continue the franchise and continue it under the auspices of, you know, one of the, one of the creators of the show. So you get a kind of genuine um, and authentic representation of, of the, of the story. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Very, very cool. I've only seen the first season. Oh, dude. Of Penny Dreadful. Yeah, they keep banging that out, man. It's so good. After Into the Badlands, I'll uh, I'll talk to Bronwyn. We'll figure it out. I definitely want to keep going with it. I was uh, I didn't even know that it had ended. I don't no think. one did. No one did. We're <laughs> watching it, and then season three happens, and you're like, man, this is awesome. And then the last episode happens. Some crazy shit goes down, and then it just says at the end, the end. And everyone was just like, what? Surprise ending. <laughs> Holy crap! It's crazy. Oh God! All right, cool. So I'll have to uh, I'll have to remember that for after we binge watch the series for sure. Uh, Mr. Bob Breyer, why don't you tell everybody why they should read all about Paper Girls number thirteen? Taking my headphones well, off. Well, yes, uh, because there are people binge watching. In essence, Paper Girls. I have to be very careful here. Steve, are you caught up? Yep. Okay. Still going to be careful. It's Brian K. Vaughan, Cliff Chang. We are into the opening salvos of a new arc. The paper girls are back together, though they're separated into two parts here. In a Neolithic world, they're a sort of they're society, but they're sort of cave people or just above that. Mac and KJ are downstream. They're they're dealing with their own issues. They're also seeing but looks to be signals in the sky. They're also encountering some odd technology and kind of creatures. We got Aaron and Tiff. They're over with Wari, the cave girl, and the baby, which is <laughs> some hysterical stuff going on over there. There's some lovely bits that are beginning in a very natural way. To The various parts of the mystery are starting to knit themselves together. Mm-hmm. Whether it goes in the direction we, I, I think they're going in is, is unknown. It's just another fabulously clever issue. Got a great cliffhanger again. Oh. Yeah. And, oh. and, and, it, and it gets kind of, I'll say, spacey. And then earthy at the same moment. We Because, again... This book, for all the, the, the clever high concept of the various time travels from the 80s to the prehistoric to the super scientific to steampunk and pterodactyls and airships and you name it, it is about these four girls. It's about the various iterations of Aaron. Uh, it, it's these Fabulous characters that Brian K. Vaughan and Cliff Chang have put together that make you want to keep reading what it is they're doing, what might have been in other hands a book that, oh, you know, I'll trade weight, I'll read, I'll read it in a lump. 
this is a book you don't want to miss seeing what these characters are doing issue to issue, how they end, how they get out of the ending in the way that those people old enough to remember the old movie serials that they were done before I started going to movies, but they used to show them on television to be continued. You know, the, our line that we end with and the way Star Wars, that crawl begins, what would happen? Flash Gordon's crashing into a mountain. <gasps> What happens next? What happens next chapter? Well, here's what happens next issue, and without that pause in between, I don't know that it has the impact. It's hard to do that, and to have done it for 13 issues now. My hats off to this creative team. A book that we was this one of ours. We're all going to pick a book and read. Yes. Yeah. And I think this is certainly the best one of any that we chose for ourselves to to jump into because I have not jumped off for a half a second. I just love no, this book. No, this was the book. This was the one that when they had that uh, the image expo and they released, you know, a bunch of preview images. This yes. was the one I believe yes. it was you, me, Bobby and Stephanie. Even at that point, Joey, were you around uh, for that when Paper Girls was first announced? No. Okay. The image for Paper Girls came out and it was just the the character on the bike, that yellow uh, on on white or black Paper Girls logo. There was something about it. It like it called to all four of us. Yeah. And we were all that's the one. And it's Brian Kavon. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I sat down last night and I read issues 12 and 13 back to back. Oh, and by the time that I was done with 13, just steam was shooting out of my ears. <laughs> the top of my head was somewhere on the other side of the room. And my brain was like doing the moonwalk. I, I was blown away by the kind of the climax. And it's not even the end of an arc. It's the damn middle. Like, yeah. there, you know, like there's no break. There's no like we're going to keep going with this. And particularly I'm not going to spoil anything but particularly the stuff that they mention, I don't know if it's in the beginning of issue 12 or 13 related to um, kind of the indigenous woman and, her, and uh, the baby. They kind of talk about who they could be. And even if that's not the case, it's still such a fun concept to play with. And I love it when that stuff happens, when they kind of give you something to chew on, like a nice discussion piece and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, super, super cool for that. The momentum of, of the book, it never misses a beat, but oh my goodness, there are some pages towards the end of 13 that just melted me. There's one full page spread that I, I put my hand over my mouth and I was like, first of all, I knew it. Second of all, that's awesome. And third, what an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous page. There's so much color and so much just wondrous things happening. Mm-hmm. And not to mention the thing in the damn woods. Yeah, what Bob is that? I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but that thing has introduced a whole other bag of cats to this thing. And well, KJ's final line, right? The, the last panel of the book. Don't, don't. Yeah, just yeah, don't. For- yeah, just don't. Just don't, because it's not a good idea. It's not a good idea at all. Uh, Paper Girls, so amazing, so good. I have no idea how long they plan on going with this. Forever, but I, I hope. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I, I love I love that, you know, it comes out on time. 
It never misses a beat. The characters are so cool. They're so endearing. I feel like I, I know each one of them by now really well. Uh, I care about everybody in this book, even some of the more like tertiary characters and stuff like that. Um, so much good mystery and it delivers every issue. Like even if we don't get very far in the story, there's always something at the end. I don't know how he does it. He does it with saga too, but like just at the end, there's that, that page reveal that you just, Oh snap. Like I got to where's the next one. Oh, it's not coming out for another month. Damn it. And I, I just, I walk away from paper girls like that every single time. Such, such an amazing series. So good. Um, yeah, I, I obviously I enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah. Uh, what do we got next? Joey, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about your trip to Rock Candy Mountain? Yeah, Rock Candy Mountain by Kyle Starks. Um, Kyle Starks Andy. did a book a, a while ago that I really enjoyed. Sex Castle, this kind of weird 80s homage thing. Uh, Rock Candy Mountain is just about hobos and train cars doing parkour and karate and beating each other up and <laughs> trying to get what? to trying to get to rock candy mountain it's it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty much that we got this mystery dude named jackson i think the devil's after him can't really tell and he just like hops on a train car meets this dude from hollywood and and they start talking about making it to, to rock candy mountain uh and then some other hobo dudes come on the train they get in a fight they fight one dude's like um uh, Jackson has punch diarrhea and your face is the toilet. It's just ridiculous. That's it's, a great line. It's yeah. absurd. Oh my God. It's fun. Kyle Starks has this very distinctive kind of like uh, whimsical cartoony style to it. Hobos and train cars doing karate and stuff. That's that's all I really have to say about it. It was fun. Yeah, I had a good time. It's a it's a for those who know the newer version of things like this or Brother Where Art Thou? Yeah. But it's, yes. it's Sullivan's Travels. It's the old Louise Brooks thing, Beggars of Life, of Mice and Men. Right. If Jackie Chan were in it. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, Dust Bowl era? At all? Right, yeah. 19, no, it's post. It's like 1948, I think, it's, is the time. Right. Okay. But it, 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 it's, it's capturing that vibe, but with an ultra-modern sensibility. Totally tongue-in-cheek. So it's, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a nice little diversion. And it'd be fun to see where it goes. Again, that line about punch diarrhea is <laughs> so that's just, you know, that's that's I've never heard that phrase ever. And you never oh, will man. <laughs> I was already <laughs> sold, but then you brought up Oh Brother Where Art Thou. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, just imagine like if you took Oh Brother Where Art Thou and then like mashed it up with yeah, like Bob's saying, like a karate B movie. Like like yeah, that's Shanghai New. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I'm the most annoying person in the world to watch that movie with because I know every line from it <laughs> and it's extraordinarily quotable. Which one? Oh, brother, so I sit there like, uh, oh, brother. Yeah. Do not you know, like, seek the treasure. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. I don't want fop. God damn it. I'm a Dapper Dan man. There's just like, there's a man who wants to pay you money to sing into his can. There's just, oh, God. And you gentlemen happen to be trained in the metallurgic arts. Like there's just so many, so many great lines in that movie. John Goodman shows up as a Cyclops. I mean, come on. It's so good. It's so good. If you guys have not uh, seen, Oh brother, where art thou Cohen brothers, do yourselves a favor and, and get your hands on that movie and check it out. It's very weird, but it's very good. Uh, totally. All right. Here's Moving right along. Watch all the Coen Brothers movies. Then yes. Do yourself a favor. Joey, mm-hmm. why don't you uh, 
take us all out of our comic book talk with some uh, your thoughts on World War Tank Girl number one. Yeah, dude. Titan's been putting out these Tank Girl minis. You can jump in whenever you want. Alan Martin, Brett Parson here. This time, Tank Girl and her affable gang of post-apocalyptic weirdos have been time-traveled back to World War II. So it's badass blondes and mutated kangaroos versus Nazis. And that's pretty much it. Really awesome art from Brett Parson. The, the kind of quote-unquote paper stock, if you will, has sort of this, like, faded, tea-stained, kind of pulpy quality to it, mm-hmm. so it kind of feels like it's from the era. Tank Girl's just a lot of fun. Anytime you pick up one of the books, very irreverent, very tongue-in-cheek, very satirical, a little naughty, but Tank Girl punching Nazis? How can you say no? Oh, a lot of fun. People falling out of airplanes, uh, heads exploding, <laughs> limbs coming off. It is... Nuts. It is absolutely a bug-crazy time travel story. And again, I know, this is, I think, the third chapter of three different little arcs. I picked up this one, and I was good to go instantly. If you know the film, if nothing else, if you read Old Tank Girl, those characters you loved are there. And just just jump in and kick some Nazi butt. Totally. <laughs> I want to see the America ben. Tank Girl Fighting Nazis team up. That's what I want. Yeah, with Cat oh and Peggy and mutated kangaroos. <laughs> yes. In. That's, all in. That's crazy. I don't know what kind of contract you'd have to draw up to get that going on. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, very much for joining me in a bit of comic talk for this podcast. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. But before we do, we got a couple things to tell you to take care of. Uh, so before we get to nitty gritty and plans and stuff like that, why don't we uh, talk a little bit about what we're looking forward to of uh, what's hitting the stands this week? Who would like to go first? Let, let me let me because my favorite new book of the year comes out today. And that is the Unstoppable Wasp. It's issue number four. Jeremy Whitley and Elsa Chartier. And we have, it looks like a deepening of the mystery and the peril for Nadja as the folks from the Red Room are trying to get her back. <gasps> Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Drive. And we've got a Silver Surfer issue. <gasps> so, I mean, come on. That's good <laughs> stuff right there for me. Totally. That's awesome. Uh, so I super quick, I got two image books on my list. There are other things I'm looking forward to as well, but these are two new books coming out from image. Maybe I'm having a little bit of a, like an image revival for myself, which would be pretty nice. One of them is redneck number one, uh, written by Donnie coat, Donnie Cates and art by Lissandro Esteran. And uh, it says the Bowmans are vampires who have quietly run the local barbecue joint and their small town for years, living off cow's blood. Their peaceful coexistence ends when a generation of hate, fear and bad blood bubble to the surface, making it impossible to separate man from monster. Critically acclaimed writer so-and-so and and artist so-and-so serve up the late uh, the oh serve up the tale of a different kind of family. uh, just trying to get by deep in the heart of Texas. Nice. So, um, <laughs> thank you. So that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I'm down for that. But uh, the one that I'm really looking forward to is God Shaper number one from uh, Simon Spurrier and Vince L. Tabanis. And uh, this is from Boom Studios. It's one of four. 
And it says, uh, breakout talent, Jonas Goonface, a god shaper. <laughs> what? What? Why would they call? Anyway, god shaper introduces a vast. I think they're trying to pull something over on me. Hold on. Written by Simon Spurrier and illustrated by breakout talent, Jonas Goonface. This is God. This has got to be a gag because it says right there that the artist is Vince L. Uh, Tapinus. All right. Anyway. <laughs> It's screwing me up. I'm trying to give them a little commercial here and uh, they're goon facing you and throw me under the bus. <laughs> what is happening? Actually, there's a ghost on the cover, so I think they are trying to be funny. All right. Ghost Shaper introduces a vast world where uh, there's a god for every person and a person for every god. Though for Ine, unfortunately, exceptions may apply. People like him are god shapers, godless social pariahs with the ability to mold and shape the gods of others. Uh, paired with Bud, an off-kilter but affectionate god without a human, the two travel from town to town looking for shelter, a hot meal, and the next paying rock and roll gig. Nice. Come Ooh. on. Come on. If that doesn't sound up my alley, I don't know what does. Uh, god Shaper number one, Boom Studios, Simon Spurrier. Check it out. Totally. Uh, what about you, Joey? Power Man and Iron Fist. Coming to an end. Oh, you gotta pick I it up. Talk about it. Number fifteen. Well, about it. we'll probably talk about it next week. Anyway, it's not uh, ending. We will. It's uh, not ending. I just got an email. It's not ending. <laughs> um, My Little Pony, Legends of Magic, number one. Check it out. Yes. Black yes. Panther Crew, number one. Tanasi Coates and uh, Yona Harvey. Check it out. Mm-hmm. And Wicked and Divine, number twenty-eight. Steve won't oh, let me God. talk about it, but Wicked and Divine. <laughs> You know what else is coming out uh, tomorrow, Joey, is uh, the super nice collected hardcover edition of uh, all three phonograms. Right, dude. Like like those oversized, super sweet uh, image presentation books that they make. Yeah. Phonograms coming out tomorrow. I read Phonogram and Material Girl a couple months ago. Loved it. Amazing. Yeah. 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 It's really good. That whole whole series has uh, a really, really nice evolution to it. I'm probably going to have to pick that up. Yeah, just for the collection, man. You can't say no. Indeed. Um, And so anyway, uh, we talked a little while back about the idea of bringing a fourth horseman into this apocalypse. And uh, (laughs) as of next week, as of next week, we are going to institute – our rotating chair, our rotating fourth chair for the Talking Comics podcast. And uh, we're going to be, you know, we have a couple people lined up, uh, many of them female, because we want uh, a female's voice on the show for sure. Uh, we'll have other guests too, maybe some comic guests, uh, some male guests, and we'll just have a party. But our first guest, uh, you know her from the Misfits podcast, you know her from the Top Shelf Book Club, you know her from her columns on the Talking TalkingComicBooks.com. You might have and seen of, it. And of course, Sirens of Scream. Sirens of Scream, Mega Nerd Media. Uh, Melissa Megan Woo. will be joining the Talking Comics podcast for next week's show uh, in the rotating chair. And we are so excited Absolutely. to have her here for a few hours and pick her brain about comics. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So, you know. New new big things coming to the podcast as of next week. Uh, we're all really excited about it. Uh, love Melissa. Can't wait to have her on, as well as our other guests that we've uh, spoken to in the past couple of weeks. It's going to be a good time. We hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, 
you know, we'll see what shakes out. We'll keep moving things around. And uh, if something gels, we'll reevaluate the situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's pretty much it for that. But before we get out of here, uh, Bob has something he'd like to say as well. Yes, I do. I have a, a shout out and Joey will be happy to hear this, I'm, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. because I received by by post from my very dear friend and our Talking Comics contributor, the true Brit columnist herself, Sarah Miles, as a, as a, some, a little bit, not too late, uh, birthday gift. The Volume 1 Hardcover Collected Edition of The Wicked and the Divine. <gasps> what? Yes. Yes. With tons of extras and script pages in a gorgeous bound volume from Image. And so somewhere down the road, you'll hear me talking about this too, Joey. So I just wanted to say thank you to... Sarah for sending this along and I am going to enjoy the crap out of it. I'm like hyperventilating over here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys, uh, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the talking comics podcast. As always, you can send us your comments and questions through our email, which I have been checking. And yes, we have seen your emails and I, do have a couple of them written down. Uh, we're going to hit those in the next week or so. So keep right. sending them in to podcast at talking and we in are also if you have some questions for Melissa, mm, she'll yes. be on next week. Ooh, mm. savvy! Or you can email us those questions at podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com, or you can uh, at message us on Twitter, which is at talkingcomics. And uh, don't forget to check out talkingcomicbooks.com for news, reviews from all of our crazy good writers, uh, and articles about comics, video games, TV shows, all that food for raw. Uh, we also have podcasts in every flavor, including like the word food for all, huh? Yeah. <laughs> On fire. It's tonight. almost as good as hullabaloo and shenanigans. Uh, talking movies. next. Yeah, I like that one too. Talking movies, talking games, talking Valiant, legendary ones, D&D adventure. We are planning. I tried to plan the next top shelf comic book club and I was denied by the very person who's supposed to host it. Who's been on my ass about making a date in the first place. Her name oh. is Melissa Began. <laughs> <laughs> so we are in the process of getting that done, you guys. We promise. Uh, but it might not be in April. I wanted it for April, but it might have to be in the month that comes after that. June. July. No. July. July. August. We'll figure October. it out. We'll figure it out. December. December. We'll wrap it up with a bow. Uh, God. Bob, where can our listeners find you? Uh, I forget. No. Oh. Bob okay. Meyer at talkingcomicbooks.com. Joey. At Joey Regina. And uh, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at dead underscore anchorus. So for Bob. Now you see me. And for Joey. Now you see me too. And now you don't. Until <laughs> <laughs> next time on the Talking Comics Podcast to be continued.
convention at the end. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, we, we totally will. If I don't, for some reason, please remind I'll me. I'll do it. I'll write it right on this note. Here. We'll put it in the post. Put it in the post credits. Yeah. Yeah. Just like we'll come out like Deadpool at the end of the show and be like, oh, you know who we're going to have on the next show? Cable. <laughs> I, I, have, I have my, my bathrobe here. So we can do it.